Well, welcome to the uh, Front Row Podcast with Coach Mark Godfrey. I'm excited today because uh, i got a wonderful, wonderful guest and uh, don't know him that well just yet. I hope to get to know you better, but uh, obviously followed your career. And, uh, you know, as a Major League Baseball pitcher, um, Yankees, Angels, um, Tigers, Brewers, Brewers, yeah. Brewers. Yep. Not, not uh, the Tigers, White, White Sox. Sox. Yeah, White yeah, Sox. White Sox. We've had, I think, a couple stints with the White Sox and the Angels along the way. Mm-hmm. But obviously uh, most notable, uh, Jim, pitching a no-hitter in uh, Major League Baseball, being born with uh, just one arm mm-hmm. or one hand, one arm from the, from the elbow down. But So I just want to – we're going to have a good time today and just talk. I want I want to hear your story and uh, growing up um, in uh, Flint, Michigan, uh, tropical Flint. <laughs> and uh, now a resident here in Newport Beach, but uh, welcome, welcome, and glad glad you joined us. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. Wasn't that the name of Will Ferrell's basketball team in uh, Flint, <laughs> the Flint Tropics? <laughs> Probably not a lot of great players on the Flint Tropics, but anyway. So, Jim, tell me, uh, and as we just kind of dive in, man, and, I, and I'm curious about this. I've, I've actually been really excited uh, when I first met you. I met you at a high school volleyball game here a couple weeks back. But uh, just kind of growing up and how you got going in baseball and how do you decided and, and kind of put all your emphasis into baseball. I'm sure growing up, like all of us, you're probably out there trying to play every sport there is. But what kind of clicked for you to kind of get it started for you to kind of take off and, uh, and pursue baseball? You know, I, I think it was just I was good at it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Because I, I loved basketball. I loved football. Uh, like you, I grew up in uh, – I grew up in Michigan and in the Midwest, and and um, you know the saw the seasons uh, decided what we were going to play that day, whether it was football or basketball, indoors, outdoors. But baseball, I always loved. I always loved baseball, and I could always throw things. I mean, I could mm-hmm. I could pick something up and throw it. I could mm-hmm. skip stones. I could mm-hmm. throw a softball. I could throw a baseball, and and so um, you know I got on the mound, and it just something clicked. It just seemed very natural to me and exciting. So when you were young, Jim, and I guess maybe I'm sure you, you do a lot of motivational speaking, and, um, and I would love to actually hear, hear you speak and visit with you on that. But when you're young, and uh, kids can be cruel, that's just part of life, and uh, here you are, and, uh, and from pr- pretty much your elbow down on your right hand, mm-hmm. um, you know, your, your arm stops right here. Mm-hmm. Well, at what point for you when you're young do you start to realize and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm different than the other kids? The other kids, you know, have two hands, mm-hmm. and here I am. And uh, how does that, when you're a young person like that, um, play into your psyche as far as, okay, I want to play sports and be good, but maybe I'm, I don't have some, what some of the other kids have? Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, <clears throat> it, it wasn't one epiphany moment of kind of understanding that you're different. I, I You know, I remember going to kindergarten you know when i was a kid i wore a prosthesis that was this really clunky metal and and uh, a plastic thing and it had a metal hook and and you know my parents were doing the best they can to try to help me to find ways to do things and figure things out uh so they had me try out and wear this prosthetic and i hated it you know i didn't <laughs> like it very much i felt like it, it one it didn't help me do the things that i love to do you know fool around and, and play at recess and and two you know, I felt like it, in, you know, it brought about even more attention and, and sort of oddity. So, you know, I know a lot of people use them and, and it works for them. But for me, 
uh, I, you know, walking into school and wearing that prosthesis and, um, you know, it was the first time that I'd kind of been outside of my comfort zone. So, you know, the early years of elementary school and middle school and all that, I remember some awkwardness. There was no doubt about that. Were kids, how, how were kids, classmates? You're, you're, you know, I think kids can be cruel, not sometimes not intentional, just kind of things they say or pick on or, you know, were, were kids towards you when you're young and did any of that happen with you at times where that may have motivated you or maybe not or made you kind of retreat a little bit or to just tell me about that a little bit when you were young? I, I think the effects of being different were subtle. They're more so than I think maybe people think. You know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't go home at night and say, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Um, I was determined, you know, and I certainly was ambitious. And um, I worked hard and, and I spent a lot of time alone um, working out my thoughts. And, and so if that part of it is, yeah, trying to prove yourself, yeah, that would for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, it, growing up, and, and I, I still get a lot of cards and letters from kids all over the country, parents, grandparents, doctors, you know, trying, asking for advice for kids in a similar condition as mine. And, and you know, what I try to tell them is it's, it's sort of a journey. It's a long road. You know, you'll have these moments of, of, of real um, discomfort. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's times when you want to stick your hand in your pocket and you want to hide from it. Um, there's times when you want to fight back. And, but little by little, as you get older and you grow up and you find the things that you love to do in life, um, those times spread out mm -hmm. and they become less and less. And I do remember as I grew up finding that my hand... I thought about it less and less. And that was a real thought, too. It wasn't just, you know, me not noticing it. It was just like, wow, it just really hasn't been a part of my life. It hmm. doesn't factor into my day-to-day -day existence anymore. So um, it takes time. It's not easy, um, but it, it gets better. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I, I would, I'm a, you know, I know you're very kind of just getting to know you. You seem very humble about everything and the accomplishments that you made in your life. And I, I see so many young people. I have five children myself, and and uh, and I, I have, I'm engaged to to a, a wonderful person who has three children. But sometimes I see young people, you know, and they it's the the um, the road gets hard, it's tough, and it's so easy to quit. You know, just just I just think that's part of life. You know, we, we've grown up, and you you know people that had this great potential, and somehow they just never really accomplished the things they wanted to. Because when it got hard, they stop. You know, they quit. I'm going to do something else. And it's a hard thing. But you, I think, uh, and I'm sure for thousands and thousands and thousands of young people and older people, too, have been an inspiration because you have been able to overcome something that a lot of people might not have been able to do. They might have said, you know what, I can't do this. You know, I'm, I just need to do something that's, you know, but you didn't do that. And where, where would that kind of come from with you? Do you think that's more innate? You, your parents coached people around your community? Was there people that kind of maybe breathed some, some encouragement into you along the way? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was very fortunate, and I say this all the time, I, I grew up in the great town of Flint, Michigan, <laughs> which I don't know if people might shake their heads and wonder uh, what exactly I'm talking about there, but... Um, you know, Flint's almost famous in its way for its, its toughness. Mm -hmm. uh, 
a lot of great basketball players, as you know, uh, recruiting and, and have made their mark at NCAA and NBA. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but there's, you know, it was tough. No quarter was given on the playground in Flint, Michigan. Uh, and I wouldn't trade that for a second. Mm. You know, I, I really wouldn't. And, and my dad embraced that. My dad was a, a, a three-sport athlete in, in high school. And, but I have to tell you, I'm thankful for the toughness of Flint, Michigan. I'm thankful for the people, the incredible coaches and parents and mentors and friends, um, so many people along the way. And, and yeah, I had my moments of, of, of digging deep and, and refusing to quit, but I, I got pulled through a lot of doors. You know, I, I had a lot of coaches, you know, who made that phone call, who took the time, who helped me to figure something out, who put me on teams that I didn't think I belonged on. So it wasn't, my, my story wasn't entirely about my own determination and my own um, resiliency. It was being surrounded by people who were creative and smart and tough and who wouldn't take no for an answer. And I, my life greatly benefited because of that. Were there times, I'm sure there were, you've kind of touched on them, but can you remember back and say, boy, when this thing happened, man, I, I just really wanted to, I wasn't going to play anymore. I'm just done. You know, I, maybe I'm physically not like everybody. Was there any of those moments where you're like, where you almost had to kind of figure it out? Like, okay, I, I can, I can strap it on a little tighter here. I can tie my shoes tighter or I can just fold it, fold the tent. Were, were any of those moments? I mean, I'm sure we've all had them. I mean, I've had a million playing, coaching, whatever. I'm sure you have, but can you remember some of those maybe along the way that you said, Man, I'm close to just I'm not I'm not doing this. Yeah, I remember distinctly, you know, the famous story of Michael Jordan being cut from the basketball team. I think he was a freshman or something. Uh my freshman year of high school, um, you know, I was the only guy on our team who didn't get a hit the whole season. Um and I fancied myself as a decent hitter too. <laughs> I mean, I really I wasn't just a pitcher, I thought I could hit and and uh didn't get a hit. I mean, I didn't even come close. I I, I was uh you know, just not a contributor on that team. Maybe pitched a little bit, but not a lot. And and the following year as a sophomore, and we all have these stories, but, you know, I, I the head coach on the team uh, brought me up to the varsity team. So I went from the freshman team to the, mm. to the, to the varsity team, and, and uh, I had real questions about whether I belonged with these juniors and seniors and guys who seemed a lot older and bigger and stronger and, and – uh, he kind of took me aside and said, don't you think for a second that you're going down to JV or going anywhere else? You're going to play at varsity. And, and um, you know, the, the clouds opened, you know, and, and all of a sudden I, you know, pitched in a few games, had some success, maybe got a hit or two. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, that seems like a small thing. Um, but I was at a precipice. I really was. I, I didn't I, – God, I, I mean, I think that it wasn't really all that much longer before I was pitching in college and then, and then pitching in the major leagues. And I was, I was very close to just saying, you know, maybe sports is not for me and, and um, as much as I loved them. It's interesting how we all in uh, – you know, my dad was a small college basketball coach, later became an athletic director at University of South Alabama, which, by the way, I'm going to jump around here for a second, but you got to hold on and, and follow me here. You had two hits in the big leagues, I think I read. Mm -hmm. off the same guy, John Lieber, <laughs> yeah. who I know well, who right. I know well. He played at South Alabama in Mobile, Alabama, where my family uh, lives now. So I know John. That's and, uh, fantastic. 
I'm gonna have to give him some grief on that one. But uh, yeah, you, you, got your, you got your two hits off the same guy. Is that correct? I, I did. I did. <laughs> and I never talked to John about. It. I don't know him. Um, uh, he threw me, you know, two fastballs, and one of them was in Milwaukee County Stadium. The other one was, which I love, is in Wrigley Field. Uh, he was pitching for the Cubs, and I was playing for the Brewers. And and uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know how he feels about that, but uh, funny. you know, <laughs> <laughs> we have a shared history. I you guess. do. All right, so let's go back now. So you're young, and uh, you love baseball. I'm a baseball guy, by the way. I'm a, I'm a fanatic. Um, I've always been a Dodger fan for all my for as long as I can remember, and so uh, I, I love baseball. But at some point here, you figured out how to with with your left hand have the glove and the ball, and then you know to to form a way to still pitch with a glove and a ball. Tell me how that happened. Um, I really wanted to play baseball. Uh, it it called to me. And my dad was a, was a good athlete, but not a baseball player at all. I, 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 uh, uh, and, and so he bought me a, a cheap plastic glove <laughs> at the local drugstore. Um, and we went out in the front yard, and I remember just trying to figure out how to throw and catch with the same hand. And, mm. and um, there, was, there was no model, you know. There wasn't a YouTube video. There wasn't even YouTube, of course, but... Uh, I'd never heard of anybody doing this, and I'd, you know there was no pictures to look at or, or uh, a paradigm, and so it was all trial and error, and, and, um, which I believe is, is so key. Mm-hmm. Uh, people talk about determination and uh, perseverance, and, and so many times it's just being willing to take a chance mm-hmm. and do things a little bit differently than other people do it. And so we just set off on this journey of trying to figure out, you know, I, I ended up twirling the glove towards my body and sort of wrapping my right arm around the glove and letting the ball fall out. Uh, when I first started, it was clumsy. It wasn't efficient. Uh, I probably I couldn't even play Little League, you know, the way I was doing it. And um, But I just set, set to work at figuring out and, and, and throwing a ball against a wall and trying to figure out how I could get the glove on and off faster. I wasn't trying to prove myself. I just did it because I love to do it, mm-hmm. and it was something that was almost zen-like in practice. You know, I, I just kind of lost myself in this process until, um, you know, made my way through high school, and, 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 and by the time I got to the big leagues, um, I was pretty proficient at it. I, I really didn't see my fielding as anything different than anybody else's. Hmm. High school quarterback, correct? Mm-hmm. I got that right? Yeah. So even as a quarterback, kind of the same thing. You have to learn a little bit, you know, which, which obviously to take a snap and to make sure you've secured the ball, uh, you know, as you step back and either hand it off or throw it. And so was there a learning? I'm sure there was like a, a learning, okay, how, am I, how do I have to do that? What's the best way for me to do this to where I can still be good and do it correctly? I'm sure with football as well as a quarterback. Yeah, again, trial and error. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, I, <laughs> I've told this story a lot of times, but I was a skinny kid. I ran cross country. You know, I did the things that kind of made sense besides baseball. And, our, you know, we had a good team. I went to Flint Central High School in Flint, Michigan, right in downtown Flint. Um, we, you know, it was a great mix of, of white kids and black kids and and. <laughs> Uh, you know, the football team was, you know, skewered a little bit more towards the black kids. And, and, but uh, the head football coach invited me out to play on that team. And he said, hey, listen, uh, you know, we need a backup quarterback. We don't have anybody this year. 
and <laughs> I hear you can throw a football fairly decent, and why don't you come out and throw? And I said, well, you know, guess what, Coach? I've never played football before, and I don't know anything about your team, and I don't know anything about the pads and the helmet and all that. And I went down there. I walked into this different, uh, you know, culture. You know, this different – you know, football is a different no, world is. than it, it is, is than any other sport. You know, you have the, you know, the, the, you know, the motivation of it and the, the fire of it and the Friday night lights. And, you know, those coaches, they all took time how to figure out how I could take that snap. And, mm. you know, honestly, it came really easy. I used my right forearm as a hand. I got down a little bit lower. I bent my right knee. I could make the handoff to the running back, you know, just by holding the edge of the football. So, um, you know, so many times we look at these, uh, you know, these challenges is so daunting. And, and, and oftentimes it's the smallest of adjustments that allow for these breakthroughs. You know, mm-hmm. just holding the ball by the edge to make that handoff um, was the common sense way to do it. And, and, and it allowed me to play, you know, high school football. So... You, you probably had children. You have daughters that played, played in college, uh, athletes. And I'm sure you've talked to thousands and thousands and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, th- you know, with the social media and all the things nowadays with everything. But you got young people sometimes, which, you know, I, I don't I, – it bothers me sometimes because I feel like we're in this era where kids are coddled so much. It bothers me. You know, I coached. And, you know, coaches love the toughness and, you know, you're just going to fight through and you're going to be resilient and you got to have a great attitude and you got to figure it out. And I used to have a term called GID, you know, get it done. Just bottom line, it's a GID. And we're at a point in the game right now, it's a GID, fellas. we got to get it done. I, you know, it's whether it's a defensive stop or making a play or executing or whatever it may be, that's part of it. But I kind of feel like we're in this era where there's young people that I hate saying it because they're, they're still wonderful. Young people are, are amazing. They, are, they always are and will be. But sometimes I don't know if we're missing some of that toughness now that maybe we had or you got in Flint, Michigan, you know, and you grew up and you go out to the playground and play and, uh, you know, sissies go home, you know, <laughs> you're going to play and yeah. you got to be good. And do you see that a little bit? Do you, do you agree? Or is that something you might say, ah, you know, kids are kids the same as they used to be? Or do you think we're in an era where there's a little bit too much of coddling people, knowing what you've gone through and the obstacles you've overcome? Yeah, I, I, I do. You know, I, I guess you and I are of the same generation and kind of look at things, you know, <laughs> but damn, I know it's hard as a parent, you know, I think we could sit here and all agree and have a beer or a cup of coffee and say, yep, have, you know, adversity is good for kids. And, uh, you know, going through a rough patch is good for kids. And we'd all agree on that. We all agree on that, mm-hmm. you know, but yet, that adversity comes creeping in and it's really hard not to, not to be there. You know, when you have the, when you have the time and and you have the resources to be able to help your kids out, um, you know, it's really hard to take that step back. And I think that's the part of it that parents, you know, awareness is just so important in life, in my opinion, you know, being able to be a little bit removed from the situation you find yourself in and have recognition because so oftentimes we just react. You know, we react. We don't want to see our kids go through pain. We don't want to see our kids be uncomfortable. And, and, and that's where resiliency comes from, you know, mm-hmm. those times and those situations. And as hard as it is to watch them go through that and, and, and face real consequences mm-hmm. um, that are not going to be easy to get through, um, 
you know, I get it. As a parent, mm-hmm. I, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I admire the parents who have the awareness and the, and the understanding of life to be able to allow their kids to experience uh, difficulty. Yeah. So now you're, uh, you've had a great high school career. You go off and now you, you've, you're going to Michigan. Go Big Blue. So you're all fired up from Flint. You're heading to uh, Ann Arbor and uh, you're going to pitch. Uh, did you think about going to anywhere else, or was it just Michigan? I'm going to. If they offer me, I'm going. Is that the way it was? It was. Yeah, I was. Um, I was a. Uh, I'll go. I'll date myself here. I was a huge Rick Leach fan. Rick Leach was a quarterback at the University of Michigan. Oh, yeah. He came from Flint Southwestern. He was a three-sport All-State player. He played four years at Michigan, and uh, he was my hero. You know, he was somebody I looked to, and so. Um, you know, I used to draw pictures of him <laughs> when I was a kid. And, and so when, when Michigan offered me, I really, that was my dream. I, I wanted to play there. I was drafted by the Blue Jays out of high school. Um, and and they, were, they were tremendous. They were very flattering. I flew to Toronto. I pitched in the Exhibition Stadium against, a, you know, some, some great Blue Jays. And I met Todd Stottlemyre, who was their number one pick that year. And I called my mom and told her I thought uh, – Maybe professional baseball was for me, and she told me to come on home, <laughs> get my degree, and 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 best decision, best decision ever. I I, I love uh, I love going to school in Ann Arbor. I, I wasn't ready as a as a kid. I wasn't ready as a student. I wasn't ready as a baseball player to play professional baseball player to play professional baseball. And and um, you know Michigan helped me to develop that I could take on that challenge. Mm-hmm. Great, great step in life. I think for a lot of people that the, the college, not, not that it doesn't work if you go straight out of high school, but that college experience does prepare. I think even as a college basketball coach, I've had some guys one and dones that, you know, play one year and go to the NBA and they've done well and they've done some things. But I think that college experience, there's something about that too. I think that's great for young people as they transition from high school to you know, later becoming adult along the way. So I'm glad to hear that for you. And uh, that's worked out. Let me ask you this one. So, you know, I'm a basketball coach or coach basketball for almost 35 years and played it. And, you know, there were times as a coach where I would, you know, if I saw something in, in, in someone's shot a little bit or their elbow and, and I would, you know, you know, you don't want to change everything. You know, some, some things they do well enough that they've got to this point, but I want to help refine what they already do. You know, if they're a really good shooter, but, you know, maybe too much thumb on the ball or the elbows out or whatever it may be and, and part of a skill. So as you go from each level, so now you're in high school, now you're at Michigan. Was there coaches along the way that really wanted to change or tweak how you, you know, pitched, held the ball, used your glove, you know, all the things that you had to do? Was there a lot of that? Or did most people kind of just let you go and say, Here, here's what he does? Or maybe walk me through that a little bit. There definitely was refinement. I started pretty raw. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I grew up in Little League, uh, um, you know, pitching in blue jeans and tennis shoes, and, 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 and that's the truth. I, I, we made it to the city championship in Flint. I didn't even know how to pitch out of the stretch. You know, all I knew was the windup, and somebody got on base, and they were like, you know, you got to pitch out of the stretch. I was like, what stretch? I don't know that. <laughs> so I was pretty raw, um, and... Uh, I got to college, and I, my coach was Bud Middaw at the University of Michigan. He was he was a good pitching coach. He really understood the mechanics, and it, not in a very complicated way, but a very simple way. So I had a very simple delivery, um, which it could be argued that by keeping my right hand tucked into my body, it kept me a little bit more com- compact. 
uh, allowed for a little bit smoother arm, arm flow um, with my left hand. And so by the time I got to, to professional baseball, um, although I will say, you know, one of the most formative experiences in my life, I played at Michigan under Coach Middaw, um, which, you know, the college experience is incredible. Um, but I played on the Olympic team. I played on the Pan Am team. And I had some wonderful pitching coaches in those environments who, you know, Skip Bertman from LSU, who's a legend. Mm-hmm. We had Jim Morris, who's a, a University of Miami coach. Um, you know, so, I mean, I was exposed to some real minds, some real pitching college uh, by the time I got to the pros, I was pretty well refined. I had to learn some things in terms of grips, and and and, but mechanically, um, you know, I was pretty tight. Easier, easier, or diff? You know, you're in the stretch. You got a guy on first or a guy on third for you. Did it matter? Was one of those much more easier because? of just the one hand with the glove, using the glove, or, or if I had a guy on second and I'm going to try to pick him off or first, how, what was going through your mind with that? Or, or was it? Or just the same? didn't matter. Yeah. Just the way your body had to turn or... You know, my hand didn't play any part of how I thought on the mound. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the only difference that I really had to work around was disguising my pitches because I couldn't... I could, you know, you see most pitchers, Andy Pettit would be the most famous one that has a glove right up front of his face and he's got it wide open. He's got his other hand in there and, and they're hiding the grip of the ball, you know, because every, you know, obviously every fastball is different, curveball is different, slider, split finger, change up, everything's different. So for me, I couldn't do that. So I had to kind of hide, hide the ball behind my glove. And, and sometimes, um, you know, that exposed the third base coach or the first base coach to, you know, what I might be throwing. Uh, and the same thing went out of the stretch. So I had to uh, kind of twirl the ball a little bit. I wasn't able to set my grip until later on within the windup or the stretch uh, when at that point it'd be too late to, to get a signal to the hitter mm-hmm. about what was coming. So um, the mechanics of fielding, I didn't think about. Uh, my mechanics of delivery, I didn't think about. The only thing that was really kind of different about my pitching was having to hide the grip of the ball. Mm. And, and as you go up the baseball ladder, they become better and better mm. at seeing every little nuance, every little twirl of the ball, every little movement in your glove. And, and um, you know, that, that was the battle for me at the big league level. You're in the Olympics, I think it was 88. Would that have been right? 88? Uh, let me go back in my mind. 88, 88. Um, 88, I'm an Olympic kind of guy. Seoul, no. Where, Seoul, Korea. Was it Seoul, Korea? Yeah, Seoul, Korea. So you're in Seoul, Korea. It's 88, and uh, you're in the Olympics. What stands out to you from that? That experience of being an Olympian. You're an Olympian. You're representing the United States of America. What stands out to you? You know, the the village itself is just, and I remember, uh, you know, David Robinson and, and – uh, uh, Manning was Manning from uh, from Kansas. Mm-hmm. Danny Manning, mm-hmm. um, you know the basketball players, the tennis players, Steffi Graf and Gabriella Sabatini, and, and um, you know walking around and, and seeing you know sprinters and, and decathletes and swimmers, and you know you could you could 
walk down the village sidewalk and you'd see somebody and go, you knew what they did. <laughs> they, you didn't have to tell you because their body told you right. what their event was. It really was right. incredible. Boxers and mm-hmm. uh, and just the excitement of, of that atmosphere. And, you know, it, baseball players, obviously, it's a little weird because we weren't the athletes that these other people were. And, and frankly, um, this wasn't the culmination of our dreams, as exciting as it was to get there and as fun as it was to compete. Um, you know, you knew that people had trained their whole lives for this moment, and we sort of just stumbled into it. We found ourselves there, uh, and we had a great time. We, we, we probably had a little bit more fun than we should have in, in Korea. Uh, a lot of American support in Itaewon with the uh, Army, Army uh, situation they have there right on the border. And so we had a ball. I, you know, I pitched the last game, won a gold medal. You know, we had we had Tino Martinez and uh, Ben McDonald and mm. uh, Andy Bennis and Robin Ventura. I could go down. I, w- I would hate to miss out on somebody. Charles Nagy. I mean, we had a really good team and, and we, a lot of guys who ended up playing a while in the big leagues. Um, but I, that, Mark, that was the best team I ever played for. Mm. Best team I ever played for. Um, as a coach, I know you'd love hearing. Um, the just playing on that team brought about a certain unselfishness. Mm-hmm. You didn't care, mm-hmm. right? You didn't care. You could be an all pack 12 center fielder and you could be a pinch hitter or a, a pinch runner on that team. Mm-hmm. And it didn't lessen your enthusiasm to come out to the ballpark that night, you mm-hmm. know, or same thing with a pitcher. You could be a starting pitcher, an all American, and be asked to be a relief pitcher during that tournament. And it was all in, you mm-hmm. know. The coaches, Mark Marcus from Stanford, Skip Bertman from LSU, Ron Polk from Mississippi State, legends in, in the baseball world, uh, really, really had a lot of buy-in to what mm-hmm. we were trying to do as a team. Mm-hmm. Best team I ever played wow. for. Wow, isn't that amazing? So I, I was an assistant coach on a Pan Am team, and I think it was 2000. i got to go with my, my, my memory, but Jay Wright, who coached uh, two national championships at Villanova, was the head coach. I was one of the assistants. And I remember uh, we went to Rio de Janeiro, and uh, I just remember, like, when I got the big bag and had all my gear, you know, and I have the shirts and the T-shirts and all that, and, you know, everything was USA. Mm -hmm. And even for me, and it's not the Olympics, it's the Pan Am Games, but still you're representing your country. Like, for me, I just remember, like, opening the bag up, and here I am, an adult, you know, I get, I'm a grown-up, you know, and I'm going through the bag, and I'm just, man, I'm giddy. Like, okay, I got my shorts, my, everything says USA, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm realizing, you know, you're representing your country. You know, we're playing against Argentina and Brazil and, you know, all the, the countries there in basketball. But just that feeling had to be, and even for you in the Olympics, had, had just to be, I mean, even as we get older in life, we look back at these things that were amazing, and I'm sure for you that had to be just one of those times, you know, it was just an amazing opportunity that you were thankful to be a part of, I, I would assume. No, it was, it was um, you know, I'm so thankful to, you have to be born at the right time, you know, the first, for it to work out that you're a certain right. age, to, particularly when it's an amateur sport and that college is important, and, and that's what baseball was at that time, there were no professional players on that team. Um, yeah, you know, I, we won, we won a gold medal. I, I was out there for the final out and, uh, celebrating with my teammates, mm. uh, you know, at the bottom of that pile, 
25 guys, you know, that I really came to love. And, mm -hmm. and you know, they're all on top of you. You're, you know, your face is in the mud and, and uh, just screaming, literally screaming, you know, how happy, you know, you were. And, and um, you know, I, I know, I guarantee there's nothing like winning an individual gold medal. Uh, if you win a race or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever you do. Um, but sharing it with 25 other guys, you know, and flying home. I'll never forget flying home on that plane. And, and we all went our separate ways. Some, some went on to, to major league careers. Others didn't. Um, but I don't think any of us knew at that moment how rare that experience could be. Right. You know, how, how few teams. And there's a lot of teams in life. You can create that. You can try. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was very rare, very rare. You know, I was <clears throat> I coached at UCLA and uh, we won a national championship. And at the time, you know, uh, 1995, and uh, it's an amazing thing. And we're all just, you know, hugging and celebrating. And you know, you you understand it's it's a huge deal. You win a national championship and it's at UCLA. You know, three nights later, we're on the David Letterman show. Then we're on a parade at Disneyland. And, you know, all the things going on. But what I learned was later in life, as, as we all got older and, and those players and, you know, everybody got older, there, there was this bond that it's different than all the other teams. Not, th not that the other teams weren't great and special and you had wonderful people, but a reaching an accomplishment like that, uh, we had a Zoom call right at the beginning of the COVID period and, and every player, every coach, every manager, everybody got on this call. And this was whatever, how many years later. Um, and there was a bond there, probably like your group of Olympian baseball players. You know, there's there just, you can call one of those guys or bump into them or see them somewhere. There's just a different type bond, I would imagine. Because I know what that, it's that way for, for me, being a part of a team that wins the national championship. And, and the other players were wonderful. But that group is just, it becomes different. Yeah, there's a pride there, isn't there? It, it, um, there's no question about it. Uh, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately. You know, I'm lucky enough to speak about, uh, you know, adversity and uh, perseverance, sticking with it, obstacles, challenges. Um, I don't think we can underrate the, the challenge of being on the verge of something really, really exciting, you know, really fun, something that you really want badly. Um, hopefulness, a lot of things can creep in, anxiety, uh, you know, just managing your emotions and to be able to climb that mountain, to be able to take that step is every bit as rewarding and, and, and every bit as it engenders as much pride as it does battling, you know, some overcoming some, some difficulty, you know, I mean, and so uh, I've been thinking a lot about how similar the mindset has to be and both good times and bad times. And, and, and I think, you know, great teams share that, having done that together. Yeah, and it's special, and uh, it, it never changes. Was there a point, Jim, at any point when you were maybe, you know, middle school, high school, college, where you actually said to yourself, I think I'm good enough to be a big league pitcher. I can do this. I, I can, I'm, I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to get there. Was there a time when that happened where – Man, it kind of, you, you could feel it like, okay, I can sense it. This is ha going to happen for me. Or were you one of those guys just, uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, talk to me about that when you, I think, because I think it's sometimes, especially with athletes, there's, there's that point where you get to a place where you think, 
I kind of crossed it. I kind of climbed a mountain here. I'm kind of I'm kind of over it. And I can see now where I'm going to go. And I think I'm good enough. I'm good enough to be a pro and to be a good pro. Was that, was that did that happen for you? Um, in the USA teams were were a big boost for me in terms of belief of what I could do. Um, playing at Michigan, great, great baseball, incredible baseball, Big Ten baseball, a lot of guys. Barry Larkin would have been a senior when I was a freshman there. You know, went went you know, immediately pretty much to the to the Cincinnati Reds and Hall of Fame career. A lot of great baseball players in the Big Ten, but. You know, you'd be lying if you weren't looking at the Pac-12 and in the in the SEC and the different places around the country and and, and wondering, you know, how you stack up against these great right. players. Right. And to come, you know, the USA teams that I played on were entirely made up of collegiate players. Um, my sophomore year, I played on the Pan Am team with some guys who were drafted in the first round. Uh, my my second year with the Olympics, you know, I was. Right there with you know the Ben McDonalds and Andy Bennises and Charles Nagy's of the world and 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 you know and and that was the first time it sort of hit me like oh well these guys are getting drafted you know these you know they're they're going to be in the first round you know and that was the first time I started to believe that you know I could match up with the best amateur players um, I didn't know about professional but I, I for me Mark it was all about opportunity you know. Uh, I just wanted the chance, you know, get my foot in the door and, and, and let the chips fall where they may after that. But that's when I knew I was going to get the chance. Mm. And, and that's all I wanted. As you became a pro, Jim, and I'm trying to put myself into your shoes a little bit, and, and here you are. Uh, you've got a left hand. You're a really good pitcher. You've done well in college. You've played in the Olympics. Okay, now you're a first-round draft pick. And I'm sure there were times when, whether it's people in the media or articles or journalists or this or that or the other, and you have to hear it. You had to hear it. I, I'm assuming, maybe you didn't, but I'm, I'm assuming you did, where can this guy that only has the one hand, can he actually do it in big league baseball? Okay, he did it at Michigan. All right, all right. But this is another step. Did, did you hear those kind of things? Did they motivate you? Did it... What did that do for you as you probably, I'm sure you had doubters. You had a lot of them. You had them a whole life. People doubting you probably. But talk to me about at that step. Now you're, you're you know, the press conference ends and, and you're the angels. Here I come. And somebody's going to question and say, well, I, I don't think he can do this. That was really the most intense period of, of uh, I don't want to say doubt, uh, but I will say questioning. Um, you know, I was coming off the high of the, the Olympics, and, and, you know, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Uh, <laughs> I'd been drafted by the Angels in the first round. I was the eighth pick. Um, and I came to spring training, and that's when, you know, uh, you know it, the media, I can't imagine what it would be now because the media right. then was, uh, it was overwhelming. And, you know, and, and, and even with the analytics now, I mean, it's so refined and so detailed. I, I'm sure they would have nailed down even more statistics of why this shouldn't happen. Um, so, but I, I, it was the first time I sort of read and heard things uh, that, were, that were doubt, that were, you know, can you do a, a rundown? You know, can you, some of the most weird, you know, unimaginable hypotheticals on a baseball field were like, <laughs> well, can he do this or can he do that? And, and um, but again, you know, and my story is, is one of uh, 
a, just incredible support, incredible encouragement for every for every person who doubted. You know, I got to I got to big. I was invited to big league spring training. I met a man named Marcel Latchman, who was my pitching coach and a wonderful human being. And we just set about figuring it out. You know, mm. we worked on disguising the pitches. We worked on fielding a bunt down the third baseline and, mm. and some of those things that might, you know, you got, it's, it's a fast game. The oh, big yeah. leagues, and, and you would know this, mm. and, and, you know, you go from college and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you go to minor leagues, A ball's a little faster and double A's a little faster and triple A's a little faster, but it's still not the big leagues. Right. You know, the, everything, the biggest difference is speed. Yeah. And the and and how quickly and, and decisively you have to do things and so, um, you know, we set about trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And so, without getting too deep into it, so you you got some people probably questioning you. You're young. You're, you're a, a first rounder. You're you're excited, but like everybody, you're you're probably nervous. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to do this. You're anxious. And uh, but then these these comments or media or somebody or somehow it forces you to have a little bit of doubt. And uh, like, where did you go? Like, wh- or who did you go to? Did you did you have a person? You mentioned a coach. I don't know. Maybe if your parents at that time were, I don't know. Maybe it, your girlfriend or wife. I don't, I don't know if you were married at the time. But like, where? Because I think sometimes people need that. They need somebody just to talk to to say, mm, I'm. This is ugh, I'm just struggling here, and I, I'm going to get through it. But did you have people like that? Did, did, did where did you go to for that when you had those moments? Yeah, I, you know, I on several different levels. It happened so quickly for me. You know, I went. I was 21 years old. I went to spring training after the Olympics, and I made the team. So I, I was kind of thrust into this world that I wasn't expecting. I thought I was going to go to Double A. Um, we had an opening in the rotation, and so I ended up here in Anaheim. And <laughs> Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I was pinching myself. So it, the fact that it just happened so fast was 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 jarring. Um, but it, initially, it was teammates. You know, it, it really was. We had a veteran team that year, and and got you know Chuck Finley here in, in Newport Beach. Uh, he invited me to live with him and and wow. took me under his wing. And he had a couple of years in the big leagues. Got him. Kirk McCaskill was pitching. You know, took me under his wing. Burt Blylevin, the Hall of Famer, you know, Bobby McClure, Lance Parrish, Wally Joyner. I could go down the whole list of people on that team, and, and they'd all, you know, five, six years in the big leagues at the, at the, at the least. Um, and they embraced me. You know, I didn't pay for a dinner that whole rookie wow. year. I sat up in a lot of hotel rooms drinking beers, talking, pitching. Um, and then, you know, some other people along the way in my big league career, uh, you know, I, I worked with some – um, and I'm, I'm proud of this. You know, I worked with some mental uh, coaches. Ken Revisa, who's a, a legendary baseball um, mental guy here in California. I worked with Harvey Dorfman, uh, who was one of my heroes in life, who was working with the Oakland A's. And, and, and so I read a lot of books. I learned a lot. I, I had great mentorship. I was very, very lucky. When you went out, when you go out onto the mound for your first you're, you're walking from the dugout across the line. You're heading to the mound. It's not spring training. It's not. It's a real deal. And you're playing for the Angels, and you're 21 at the time. And you're walking out there, and uh, what, what's your gut doing at this point? 
it was a blur. I swear, you know, I, I would love to tell you, boy, I was just locked in. I, it was, it was, I was so poised. I was ready to go. I, I, no, I was a blur. I, I, um, the moment overtook me a little bit looking back on it because I know I can't remember anything about it. I just, I, I, I remember pitching against the Seattle Mariners. I remember pitching against Mark Langston, who was one of the top left-handers in, in the game. Um, you know, and a guy who I emulated growing up and now is a, is a great friend. We ended up being teammates here with the Angels for a long time. And um, no, I can't, I, can't, I can't tell you anything about that first game. I know, and my parents were there, I know that, and some other people. Um, but, you know, that, we might as well not even talk about it. I can't even tell you anything halfway true. Who, who was a guy or two when you pitched that when they came to the plate, and I know you're confident, and, I, and all athletes are. You know, you're, you're, I'm going to strike this dude out. I'm going to get that dude out. I'm getting him out. But who was that one or two or three guys you said, whew, whew, I got my hands full right here with this one. Yeah. Who was that? <laughs> Boy, there were several. Didn't, depending on what <laughs> night it was and uh, what town we were in. Um, you know, I, I always say George Brett. George was older than I am, but um, – <clears throat> When I first got to the big leagues, you know, even though I was lefty, he was lefty. I couldn't get George Brett out. I mean, I, I could not get him out. <laughs> I, I, and, and I didn't know how to because I was limited as a young pitcher. You know, I, I, need, I didn't change speeds well, particularly to a left-hander. And so he wasn't a guy that you could pitch inside or outside. He, he, would, he could hit either of those. You had to, pull, you know, move him back and forth a little bit and, and – um, so, yeah, he wore me out. I, I couldn't get him out to save my life. Uh, Mark McGuire, I think, hit more home runs off me than anybody else. <laughs> that was, those Oakland A teams were just insane. Um, you know, the Mariners teams, Edgar Martinez. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's, there's teams as much as people, you know, that are you, – you know you're up against it. How was the New York media – you get traded to New York – uh, I've said to everybody that I've ever known in life, and I've been in sports my whole life. I don't think there's anywhere like New York when it comes to the media. I think they're they're the probably the hardest, toughest. Um, you know, could be cruel at times. And here you come to New York. Now you're with the Yankees. You've established yourself, you know, as a as a professional player. You know, but you still have the you know you're going to pitch with glove on, ball in one hand. You know, you're going to pitch it and put the glove under your arm. And how was the New York media towards you? Was it all about just we'll see, see if he can win here, or how do you think they were? The New York media was exceedingly fair to me, <clears throat> and I say that um, because you know I had I I didn't pitch to expectations there. Uh, I was traded from here. Uh, it was a it was a big trade. You know, the Angels got J.T. Snow and a couple other good players, and and um, I went to New York with some expectations of being a front front line starting pitcher, and I didn't really live up to that billing, to be honest. Um, I had some some good times in New York, and and I'm forever thankful to have pitched there, um, but. The funny thing happened, you know, they didn't treat me with kid gloves. You know, for a long time, the media had always been, mm. you know, fairly complimentary to me. And here in Anaheim, they were, you know, it's different. It was, it was different then. It was not as many people covering the team and, and, and not nearly as, as aggressive. Um, but... The angel or the the Yankee media 
treated me as a pitcher. Mm. And that's the lesson I learned in New York City, you know, that they didn't care. They didn't care about my hand. They didn't care how I pitched. Uh, they wanted to know how well I was going to pitch, you know, and they held me to task. And when I didn't perform the way that they thought I should be performing, they didn't hold back. And it hurt. I, I didn't like the evaluation. I didn't like the some of the some of the answers that they were coming up with. But uh, I had to tell myself that I had arrived at a place where I always wanted to be. I was being judged for who I was as a pitcher rather than a human interest story. And and so fair. Long story, the New York media treated me incredibly fair and, and, and it made me confront who I was mm. in a lot of different ways. Wow. You're pitching for the Yankees and uh, you have some, the, the night you have a no-hitter. Okay. So you're, and I've always asked to ask this to any pitcher that's pitched a no-hitter because, you know, again, I'm a baseball nut. You know, I, lo I love baseball. And in every game I watch, I can watch Clayton Kershaw, and he goes first inning, no hit, second inning, no hit. I'm already thinking about no hitter. Okay, he's going to get to a no hitter. Somehow he's going to find a way to get there. But here you are, you're first inning, second inning, third inning, and now you're starting to get deep, deeper into the game. You're getting deeper into the game. You're coming to the, to the dugout. And at this point, it has nothing to do with the fact that you have one hand. You got, you're pitching a no hitter. And first of all, what's going through your mind in those fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, innings what's happening with your with you here yeah you know um it's so exciting just i'm just thrilling uh, you know if you can imagine your heart racing and you've been in those situations um and and it and it dragging out you know it's it being a prolonged anticipation um and I had a great catcher that day, a guy named Matt Noakes. Matt was, I wouldn't say he was our backup catcher, but he didn't, he wasn't our primary catcher. And he was just so enthusiastic. You know, he, he has the smile on his face. You could see it behind the mask and the fist pump and to see how into it he was. It, it, you know, it's a weird thing because everybody knows what's going on, but there's no acknowledgement of what's going on. And we we're all know gonna, that. We're yeah. not going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, your teammates aren't talking to you. It's, you're, it's a very lonely journey, those last <laughs> three innings or so. Uh, but you know, and everybody knows, and the fans know, and the, and the team, the Cleveland Indians, that team came against. And they were a good team. They had Edward Bell and Manny Ramirez and uh, Jim Tomey, Kenny Lofton. Um, you know, it's just this expectation in the stands people pounding on the dugout you know jumping up and down banging the seats um just their excitement over that moment you know it just it just you absorb it you feel it and you know that last out is like an explosion of of uh emotion and just like whoa disbelief you know and, and it hits you and and um it's just incredible I think uh, no-hitters are amazing, but I would have to guess a little bit that a no-hitter with that logo right here of New York, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just saying that, but to me that would even feel just a little more different because it is New York. It is the Yankees. It's probably the most, I mean, we, me and my buddies argue all the time, the most iconic logos there are in sports, in the world, the world. And I would you could build an argument that that's the most iconic logo, the New York Yankees. And here you are on the mound, 
it's the ninth inning. There's two outs. And you got to face in this here. Here it comes. So now we're here. Now we're at the last out. What's going through your mind? Matty Noakes, you know, the catcher, <laughs> you see that smile and I see him back there. And we had talked a lot about, gosh, I, I you know, go just go on and on. But, you know, you it, so much of performance and execution is about trust and belief and, and particularly pitching. You know, you have to trust. You have to believe if you hold back at all. You know, you you lose a lot of life on the on, on the whatever pitch you're throwing, and so you have to have trust with your catcher, and you have to have trust in yourself. And and when you have these swirling environments, and you have the you, you that trust can dissipate. So it becomes a a fight, you know, to 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 finish, to execute, to to believe with conviction. And and so I felt all those things. You know, that was what I was thinking about in that last you know those last few outs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I will agree with you that, the, you know, I, I, I hated the Yankees. I grew up a Tigers <laughs> fan. You know, I, when I got traded to the Yankees, I looked down at those pinstripes and it felt like the weirdest <laughs> outfit I've ever, I said, I don't know if I can do this, you know, um, but it is magnified. It's intense. Uh, there's a connection, uh, not only with the, with the uniform, but with the stadium, with the city and, uh, you know, getting that last out in Yankee stadium, um, has allowed me a connection to that organization and to that city. Uh, and I've always loved New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people have treated me mm-hmm. so well. And I, I just, I cherish that. I really do. I walk down the street in New York and people remember the date, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to Isn't this day, you know, like, Jimmy, you know, Janet. So that great? Um, whether you love the Yankees or you hate them, it is different. No question. So now you, the game ends. Exhilaration. You're, you're it's, you know, I... When you stand in that moment, you know, and us in sports, we've had moments, you know, maybe not like that, but, you know, there's been some amazing moments. And you never have looked at yourself as a guy that, you know, okay, I have one hand and, I, you know, I, you just pitched. You know, at some point you're just pitching. I'm pitching now. Uh, that doesn't. But it becomes the story, you know. There's been other guys that have pitched no hitters, but, but nobody that's ever pitched in Major League Baseball that's thrown a no hitter that you have to have the glove and the ball in the same hand before you pitch it. And now that becomes the story. How did you, how was that to Tana? Because I'm sure people, they're not trying to be insensitive, but, but, it, but it's a story. It is. It's just, here, here's a guy that's just done something that probably nobody ever thought would ever happen, ever, in the big leagues. And you did it. What's going through your mind there? You know, Mark, it was, um, it didn't really hit me so much um, at the time because I, I, you know, I love my teammates. I love Donnie Mattingly and Wade Boggs and Bernie Williams and Paul O'Neill. And, you know, I was just so happy to share that moment with them and to share it with my wife. And and, uh, that night in Manhattan, walking around, signing autographs and, you know, one night, you know, the king of New York. Uh, it's crazy. You know, it's absolutely nuts. And, and, um, but you're right. You know, the next morning I woke up with a decent hangover, <laughs> a decent <laughs> headache. I drank entirely too much champagne that night. And, um, I, I came to the ballpark and, you know, there was a, a throng of media, you know, there was a camera crews everywhere. And, 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 and I got the sense that, you know, this, 
uh, you know, it was a little different. It was, right. you know, and I got to my locker and there was, you know, people had flown in, big time reporters had flown in from around the country to write these pieces. And um, so I guess the answer to your question, not, not to be too long winded, um, I love that game for those reasons. And, you know, my hand is something that I had an interesting relationship or have had an interesting relationship. There's times I hated it. There's times I loved it. There's times I was proud of it. Times I hid my hand in my pocket, right? Mm. And, and my point playing, and I, oh, I tried to be consistent with this because it was true. I wanted to be good, like you said. I, 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 yes, it's fantastic to play. I didn't want the message from my career to be just participation, mm. just being there. I felt if you could play and succeed and do well, then that's an even better story. <laughs> that's even more of a connection. And that's exactly what that no-hitter did. And, and, you know, hey, I walked a few guys that day. There were, it was some hard-hit balls. It wasn't a perfect game. Right. But it was a no-hitter. And I know, I know deep in my heart how many people like me, how many parents with kids like me have connected with that saying, if that could happen, what else could happen? You know what I mean? So, um, yes, it's one game, but it, I, it, there's a story there, there's a connection there that I, I, it makes a lot of my career, uh, you know, very, very special, I think, to, to people out there. And, and that means a lot to me. Well, because so many people, as you know, we, we people struggle with all kinds of things in life. And to see somebody that's overcome something and uh, reach that level, it's, it's, in, it's inspirational. It is to people. And uh, you're a credit to that. And the way you handle it, too, Jim, the way you're, you're humble and all the things you do, it's, it's really, it just comes right out. You know, first time I, I met you, few weeks ago, you could tell right off the bat, right off the bat, you know, this is not a guy that's just caught up in himself. And, but you have overcome something and, and achieved a tremendous amount. And so it's, it's an, it's an amazing thing. And so Jim, one thing I always ask people of, and again, I mentioned earlier, I have five children and you have two daughters, correct? That played college sports mm -hmm. playing and, uh, they've excelled and they've played, they've played really well. And, Maybe you have already done this, but I always ask this question, and it's always I get interesting answers. But if I could gift my children, if I could gift them, breathe into them certain characteristics, if I could say, "Man, I just want you to have this," whatever that may be, you know. And some people might they may they have all kind of answers, but I look at my my children, and you know, sometimes as a parent, you say, "Boy, I did a pretty good job," and then sometimes you go, "Oh, boy, I didn't do a very good job." You know, that's just the way being a parent is, you know. But if I can gift characteristics into my kids, what would those be for you? And maybe you have done that. Maybe they do have the characteristic that you were just wanting them to have. But as a father, what, what would those couple, one or two or three things or how many ever, what, 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 it, what would those be that you said, man, I just want to gift this to you. I want you to have this characteristic. What would they be? Sure. What a great question, Mark. I mean, uh, um, I heard Kurt Karai one time, the great volleyball player and coach, uh, he asked his children, what do you think I reserve my greatest praise for? 
and they said something entirely different than what he thought he praised them for, right? And, and so I, I thought that was a really insightful way to look at that. Um, I, you know, there's three things that I believe, you know, creativity. And by that, I mean being able to, being willing to do things differently, being able to shake it up a little bit. You know, that, you, can, you can do things differently and still do them just as well. Uh, and, that, and that takes into the idea that there's some trial and error right? That, that you're going to fall, you're going to fail. Can you get back up? Can you stick to that problem, you know, until it's solved? Uh, I'd like to have my girls believe that, you know, that, that uh, if they stick to it, they're going to find an answer, you know, and that, that was the story of my childhood in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I want, I want them to be accountable to all that they've been given in talent and opportunity uh, in, in the moment and what's in front of them hold themselves to that standard because, you know, they've been fortunate. They've been lucky. A lot of, a lot of good things have come their way, and, and, and it's their responsibility to live up to that. Um, most of all, though, there's a great quote, and I don't know who said it, uh, nothing great in this world has ever been done without enthusiasm. And I want them to be enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Find what you love. You know, go, I don't care what it is. You know, baseball, chess, soccer, you know, books, whatever, but body language, mm. enthusiasm, getting up in the morning, you know, the, uh, you know, attacking the day with enthusiasm unknown to man as our, <laughs> our friend uh, Jim Harbaugh and Jack Harbaugh say. But, uh, you know, I, I think that enthusiasm can carry you an awful long way in life. And, and um, yeah, so those things, you know, creativity, accountability, and enthusiasm. Wow. Phenomenal. It's a wonderful answer. And uh, Jim, I just want to thank you uh, for coming today. And uh, I've said to you before, and I've said all the time, I'm having a ball. But uh, and the reason is I get to get to know guys like yourself and uh, people that have achieved a high level of success. You've done it with humility. You've done it with great class. And uh, anyway, I just want to thank you for coming in today. I had a, I had a great time. Oh, my pleasure, Mark. I enjoyed it too. Okay. Thank you.